Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. I'm excited to, uh, to kick off a series that's going to take us through the summer. And uh, we're going to be going through the entire book of Galatians. And uh, we're calling it Galatians Keep in Step. And it's from a phrase that Paul uses later on in the book. So Galatians is an amazing book. Um, if you haven't read all the way through it before, I would really encourage you um, to do so as we kind of go through it um, in, in our Sundays. I'm going to be covering uh, basically 1-1 through 2-10. We're not going to read all of it, so calm down. Um, and uh, I just think it's a very good thing for us to see the entire context of certain scriptures, right? Like, as fun as it is to quote Philippians 4.13 before I lift something really heavy, um, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Um, but my favorite time is before I do something stupid. Um, I think sometimes we don't realize the context of that. And that is Paul is like in prison, suffering. He's from our outside looking in, he's failing. And he can do that through Christ who strengthens him. So super important to understand context. And I want to give us just a quick introduction of what we're stepping into when it comes to um, Galatians. Uh, have you ever walked into a, a room or happened upon uh, people that are already fighting? Yeah. Right? Staff meetings on, sun, on Tuesday mornings here at Grace is a little bit like that. Um, <clears throat> there's already a tension in the air. Something's happening. People are arguing. That's not true, at least for Grace Harvest Church. We love each other. Um, but that's what's going down right from the start of Galatians is that Paul is angry. Um, he's furious. I, I don't think anyone uses big mad anymore, like the word, but he's big mad um, for the kids. Um, he's fired up, and we are going to see that in some of that language that he uses. And um, uh, Pastor Noah and Pastor Raul, as we progress into it, are actually going to get to bring some of that up, which is super fun for them. Um, generally speaking, Paul's epistles, his writings, right, are normally situated kind of, kind of in this way. There is a greeting right? And then there's a, hey, here's something really good that's happening in the church, and then here's something really bad, and then here's something really good again, um, right? It's like a sandwich, and sandwiches are biblical. So, but in Galatians, amen, thank you, somebody, somebody, <laughs> a sandwich person. Um, but Paul skips that part. There's no sandwiches for the Galatians. Um, Paul is walking through that door, and he's already throwing punches, and one of the first things that he says is, hi, so I see that you've abandoned Christ. <laughs> right? That's a really fun meeting to have with a pastor um, who sits you down and, hey, how are you doing? So you're not a Christian anymore. How's that working out for you? <laughs> and I think the funny thing, I'll probably mention this again later just accidentally, but, but this was a letter that was meant to be actually like read out loud during a service like this. Exactly like what we're doing publicly. And so we're going to jump into it, and we should have all our, our texts ready to go. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read this. It says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Galatia was a region in the Roman province, and so it's written to multiple churches. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins 
to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And so this is a summary of the gospel. And and much of Galatians is that type of summary. Um, Some theologians kind of look at it as the seed form of Romans. This is a a more simplistic version of Romans. If you've ever read through Romans um, and you start reading through some of the concepts and you're like, wow, there is a lot here. Um, Like Romans was written after Paul had had time to settle down and have a snack probably, right? He just needed a little bit of food in the stomach and now he's ready to really articulate some of the things that he he wants to. And so I want to read this quote. This is from Timothy Keller, who's uh, passed away a couple weeks ago. He's an amazing author, theologian, pastor. And he summarizes the gospel like this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God. There's a simplicity to that statement, and yet it means a lot of things. There's a lot in there. We, we broke God's creation. We are rebels in our hearts. And, and the stories that we read in Scripture sometimes that are um, they're sometimes shocking and they're a little bit disturbing and they're disappointing. Reading about Israel failing over and over and over again, or King David failing over and over again. Hopefully, at some point, we as the readers come to that reality that that is us. That is us. That is the story. That's our story, and it's their story as well. But God, in the abundance of his grace, his love and his mercy made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And it's nothing that we can actually do in our own strength. And this is much of what Paul is going to contrast and lay out here is these two different ideas of the gospel, the actual gospel, and man's gospel. And right from the, be- the beginning of this text, we're actually reminded about God the Father. God who is also our Father. It's reiterated twice, and that's to remind us that we are actually sons and daughters. And we've been brought into a family because of God's own great love for us. And Paul talks about through faith by Abraham. And he brings up Abraham over and over in this. Is by, he was justified by God through faith. And because of Jesus, we've been rescued from darkness, from this present evil age. And it's, it's hard to see sometimes in that text. And it seems like such this really simple phrase. But ancient Judaic thought was kind of broken into these two different places. Um, And one was the current evil present age, which is full of corruption and all the horrible things that we don't like, right? And the other was an age to come where creation would actually finally see the justice of God. And Paul is is saying to us, to the, the readers of this letter and to us right here today, that we are actually a part of something new that history has actually turned. And we're on a different trajectory because of what Jesus has done, right? It's not just a transactional thing like, oh, I'm really glad that my sins are forgiven and I'm, I'm going to heaven. That's great. 
But actually, history has shifted from that point of his death and his resurrection. And he's doing something new in the earth. Amen? And so, in verse 6, I'm, I'm going to read through this whole text, and then we're just kind of break it down line by line. But he, again, he comes out swinging right here. In verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then he continues and he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it for any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. The word gospel simply means good tidings, right? Some, some people have, have kind of called it, it means good news and, and that's fine, but there's no such thing as good news right now in our time, right? <laughs> um, that's a joke. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Calm down. Good tidings is a better translation. Good tidings. Um, here's an example from history, because I thought that was just, this is, as I was reading it, I was like, wow, this is really profound. This was written before Jesus' death, and this is about the Roman emperor, Augustus, and this is actually his birthday announcement. And for any Bible nerds out there, um, Galatia, as a province, loved Augustus. That He was like their man. They had uh, all his feats transcribed in these different places and statues, and um, they were fanboys. And so this is his birthday announcement. It says, this is an actual historical document. You can actually go find this if you want. Um, it says, since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war, and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings, the gospel, for the world that came by reason of him. He sounds like a fun guy. This also sounds a little bit like my wife's Facebook posts about me sometimes. <clears throat> it's a good, it's, I'm okay with it, but I need that type of encouragement in my life. This, this is, when you read that, you realize the ridiculousness of all of this. If you know anything about history and Rome and um, peace and all these things, you're talking about one of the most brutal callous, bloody empires that's ever existed. That is a very stark contrast to what we just read. 
there has always been a gospel of men. And, and you can look at any news sources, anything related to media, advertisements, all these things. And there's some idea of this agenda. Now, whether you like it or not, there's an agenda there. Or here's how to live your life. And from the very start, we have desired to make everything about us and what we can do. And not about what he's done. And the gospel of, of Jesus is, if I can just put it really simplistic, simplistically, is that you can't. And so he did. You can't do it, and so he did it. And, and this is one of the reasons that, that Paul is so angry, he's so mad, is because at the core of that idea is this. It means that Jesus' blood isn't enough to make you right with God. You need something else. And the truth is, is that even if you've walked with Jesus for a, a very long time, you need to be reminded of this truth, Right? That he is enough, that his blood is enough, that he paid it all and he did everything. Throughout the story of scripture and throughout the story of our world and probably many people in this room, I think we forget sometimes this, the truth and the simplicity of the gospel and what he's done. And we forget and it's very easy for us to wander from that truth. And it's always surprising to me, like even in this, the context of actually what's happening in this story, this wasn't that long after Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, the original disciples and their associates are planting churches and they're preaching the gospel. This was new. This was really fresh. And yet there were still Christians who had wandered away from the truth and the simplicity of that, and they wanted to add something else. And then as we continue in, in verse 7, Paul reiterates, not that there is another one. There is not another gospel. Right? But there are some who trouble you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. And this idea of distortion falls into this category of twisting something. And it's actually way closer to um, the idea of perversion. They've perverted the gospel. See, the gospel of man is usually really easy to find. If you just look for pride, you'll find it. It started with pride in the garden, and this is the sin that we as a people cannot seem to shake. We love the idea of being our own God. We create our own good and our own good news. But just like the birthday decree of Augustus, it is a facade. And it's hollow and it's empty, and it leads to emptiness. Because there's only one gospel and that's the gospel of Jesus. Amen? We can't do it, and so he did it for us. And he invites us to actually join him in this new creation. And, and one of the, the main areas of contention um, at this time was a group of people telling new Christians that they needed to follow the old covenant law, um, specifically being circumcised and, and following feasts and don't eat this and, and all of that fun stuff. They added something to the righteousness of God. You're not quite there yet. There's still a few more things that you have to do. But 
Paul lays this out in, in more depth later on in the book and also in Romans, and, and I would encourage you to read that. But the law never had the power to justify someone before God. And he brings up Abraham as an example who was justified by faith. He was made righteous by faith. And see, the law is and was good. It's a good teacher. It brings order. The law is this thing, a thermometer, if you will, that kind of lets us know that something is not quite right. There's something going on in the heart of all humanity, and we cannot seem to live up to this standard that God has set before us. But it was God's plan to do more than just create rule followers. But through Jesus, right, we became a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to have those commandments actually written on our hearts. It's in your DNA. We actually have new hearts which are no longer slaves to sin. Amen? You're not a slave to your sin. And so there's a different way to live through Jesus. There's a different way to see the world through Jesus. And this should actually change how we live practically. Amen? And I'm going to read verse 8 and 9 together. Is everyone okay out there? Okay, good. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. Right? This is a public setting. Reading this to a church in a public setting. Anathema, accursed. Paul uses this word twice, almost to say, hey, in case you didn't hear me, I'm going to say it one more time, if you didn't catch this. Right? It means to be offered up for divine destruction without hope of redemption. That is a pretty heavy thing to say about somebody, about a group of people. But the reason why he's so passionate, he's so angry, he's so visceral, and he's real about it is because, one, it nullifies what Jesus did on the cross, right? And the other reason is because it pulls us back into this idea of the present evil age. And and Paul, later on in, in this text, actually brings these two ideas and equates it to slavery, and we, we have, as, as Americans, uh, we, we have a lot of ideas based on slavery, um, you know, in our context. But I think it's really important to understand what was happening in Paul's head, right, as he's writing this, and what his context would be, which is the Hebrew scriptures. The Israelites have their own story about slavery in Egypt, in Babylon, right? Rome itself is this archetype, all these things for the evil of most evil things you could possibly think of, the biggest, baddest villain out there, right? If you're familiar with the Marvel Universe, it would be like Thanos, right? And one of the main points of that story, if, if you remember it, was God telling Moses, right, to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go that they may actually worship me in freedom. And, and, and Paul is... Again, he's, he's asking this question. He's, he's losing his mind in some ways because he's like, why would you want to go back into captivity 
why would you go back into slavery with the freedom that you have, right? We know exactly what that's like. And this is what the distortion of the gospel leads to. It leads you back to the system of men and trying to do things in your own strength. And in verse 10, it's really quiet in here. In verse 10 through 12, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read through this as a whole. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? And if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we see right here the, this idea of these contrasting things, the gospel of, of men and the actual true gospel. There is, there's a lot of themes in scripture, but one of the tensions that I've been meditating uh, a lot on lately, which is just a fancy word of saying thinking, um, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. <laughs> you say those things so you sound smarter than you actually are. But truthfully, I've just been thinking about it, okay? I've been thinking about it. Um, but there's these two things, and it's the fear, of Lord, the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. And in Proverbs 29, 25, I think, I think we have that. We're going to see this contrast. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Right? And then we go down, we, we go back to 14. There's no coincidence. This language is the same. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. See, the, the fear of man hides underneath the surface and it masquerades as other things. Sometimes it's actually love. Sometimes it's humility, false humility. But ultimately, the fear of man concerns itself more with how people will feel or react over what is actually the truth. And the antidote to that fear, the fear of man, is actually the fear of the Lord. There is a, a text that, that haunts me. I know that's a weird thing to say about the scripture sometimes. But I do think there should be texts that disturb us in the Bible because there are. <laughs> so that's okay. And this is in Malachi chapter 2, and it's at the end, and, and the Lord is pronouncing judgment over the priesthood. Um, and, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't read through all, all the Bible, but the church is actually the new priesthood. It's not me or Raul or anyone standing up here. It's y'all, we. No pressure. Um, <clears throat> But, but the principle is, is sound, and it is the same. And in verse 17, it says this. It says, this is the Lord speaking through a prophet. And he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? And then the Lord responds by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the, the God of justice? We should be far more concerned 
about God's approval, about his truth, about his ways, about his thoughts, than in the approval of men. When my life is over, when our life is over at some point, we aren't going to stand in front of a jury of our peers. We're going to stand before the eternal God who by his will sustains the universe, who we are just a vapor, like a little puff of smoke that goes up comparatively. And that's who we're going to stand before. We need a perspective change. And then Paul goes on to say that I didn't receive this from any man, but, I, but by a revelation of Jesus Christ. See, he had an encounter with Jesus that turned his life around. Right? He was a persecutor of the church. He was an enemy of Jesus. And, and I don't just mean in way that he was a sinner, like you and I at one point were enemies because of our sin. But I mean he was having Christians arrested and persecuting the church. And this revelation that had happened to him, it, it was years earlier. And it still shook him to the point when he was writing this letter. And he was beaten three different times by trained Roman soldiers who knew exactly how to inflict the most pain possible. He was whipped with a scourge five different times, so roughly 195 lashes. He was stoned. And I know this is Washington, but it wasn't the devil's lettuce. Okay. It was... <laughs> First service didn't get that. So I don't know what that says about this service, but let's <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <clears throat> he was stoned with rocks. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. And it's interesting when you read a lot of Paul's writings is that he was, for lack of a better term, he was proud. He was proud. He had talked about these marks that he had. He probably looked like a pretty rough dude, if we're being honest. And he was proud of these scars and all the things that had happened to him over his life. Because he was so convinced, right, on that road to Damascus. That was the depth of Paul's conviction about the gospel. And about the revelation of Jesus Christ and the approval of God. Amen. And that revelation was the catalyst behind his entire ministry and his entire life. And, and whenever I read, I, I read things like that, I, I always step back and ask myself a question. And that's the question that I want to ask you as well, is what is your revelation? What is my revelation? What is the thing that God has done in your life that no matter what happens, you can't be shaken from? Because you're going to need it. You're going to need that revelation to keep in step with the gospel, to keep in step with Jesus. I often reflect on mine, and there's a, a few that I come back to, but they are vitally important to bringing us back to the truth of the gospel that while I was an enemy of God, 
while I was far away, he saw me. He saw you. And he ran towards us. And then I also ask myself this question as well. And so I pose it to you, but what do you add to the gospel? What do I add to the gospel? Some people approach it like this. I I have to be good all week to be in church. I drank too much last night. I slept with someone I shouldn't have slept with. I had a rough week, whatever that might be. What do you put in the way of the gospel? I want to remind you this morning that Jesus' blood is enough. It always has been. It always will be. Whatever you're, you're wrestling with, whatever you're struggling with, it's enough. I think it's human nature to add something to the gospel, to try in our own strength. I'll be really good, and then I'll go up for prayer. I'll be really good, and I'll take communion and, and all these things. But the truth is, is there's just one gospel. It's not your gospel. It's not what you think makes you right before the Lord. It's what he's done. There's one gospel and there's one life-changing announcement on this earth, and that is the gospel of Jesus. And that message isn't just about getting into heaven. It's not about something that's super far away, although it is. But it's about heaven getting into earth. And it's about a quality of life that can actually happen right now, right? Pastor Doug mentioned that actually last week in his sermon But eternal life just isn't about eternity. It's about right here, right now. God has made a way for the Holy Spirit to live in each and every one of us. Amen. And at the end of Revelation, there's this really beautiful passage. It's okay to read the end of the book, end of the story. But but it says this, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Amen? God with us. Keep in step with the message of the gospel. That Jesus died on our behalf to rescue us and bring us into a new life. Amen? You are a new creation. This is should change how we live. Amen.